So I was a student at the University of Miami, and I was taking an American literature class, and uh, we were reading all kinds of American literature, and uh, um, it wasn't, I mean, University of Miami wasn't a godly place, and the literature we were reading, it's just kind of the standard literature, but of course, not a godly thing. So um, we're reading that, and, and my professor, he was kind of a young guy, and he was, uh, uh, he had some kind of issue with Christianity, I don't know what it was, but, but he went on a rant one day based on what we were reading in one of our, our books. He went on a rant on how Christians, they believe in um, this Christ who died on this cross, a bloody death, he's crucified, it was just a big fat mess, and Christians kind of worship, you know, that God. And it was just kind of uh, uh, appalling to him. So uh, I was, when uh, uh, ben said that about the song that we were singing. It's true. We kind of look up to the cross because there our Savior died. But praise the Lord, we don't just worship the cross and his death on the cross. We also worship his resurrection from the dead. And so uh, he's no longer hanging on the cross. And he's no longer shedding his blood. He already did that for us. And praise the Lord, he is our risen Savior who died for our sins and conquered death and has given us the victory. So praise the Lord for that. This morning we're going to be talking about building up your home, and uh, we're going to, I'm just going to run through a whole bunch of scriptures, so I don't usually do it like this, but uh, you're going to, if you just write them down, uh, you can, if you're fast at turning in the Bible, you can try to do that, but uh, we're just going to kind of go through a lot of, of uh, different uh, scriptures. Now, what we've already done, we've already looked at the importance of the home and how it points us to the home that we have with God and how we are the temple of the Holy Spirit and all that. We've already talked about that. But there are four things that I would like to focus on this morning as to what we are to do with our homes or in our homes or what our homes are supposed to be characterized by. So there are four things that I'm going to look at. These are not the only four, but uh, they stand out to me in my mind as to what is important for our homes. So the first one is this, provision. Our home is to be a, pr a place of provision. Now we can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. God created this place, this wonderful place, this beautiful place, and he made man and he made the woman and he put them in the garden. And it says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 29, and it says, God said, see, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed to you it shall be for food. So God created this garden. He put Adam and Eve there, and he provided for them in that place that he had given to them. This continues as we move through the Bible. In the law, in the book of Deuteronomy, we see verses that refer to the people of Israel as they're coming out of Egypt and getting ready to go into the promised land. And in Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse 9, it says, He has brought us to this place and has given us this land, a land flowing with, and you guys know the rest, right? A land flowing with milk and honey. Milk and, honey. and that milk and honey is meant to represent the bounty of the land where they were going, that God was giving them a place that was unlike the desert that provided for them. As a matter of fact, uh, you remember when the, they sent the spies into the land? Remember what they came back with? They came back with, you know, this huge, you know, uh, 
amount of, of bounty from the land, you know, the grapes and, and all of that, to show that it was, you know, truly a land flowing with milk and honey. It was truly bountiful. But even in the wilderness, when God had the people of Israel wander through the wilderness, and that was their place for a time, God provided them with what? In the wilderness for 40 years. The manna. He provided for them. And so this is a characteristic of God and a characteristic that is to be reflected in us too, that we provide for those in our homes. We come to the New Testament and uh, we find in a couple of places where the Lord teaches his disciples how to pray. So in one of the uh, instances, the disciples ask him, teach us to pray. And so he says this, and it's, you know, the, the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, in one of those signs, this is a Luke eleven three. This is one of the things that we are to pray for. Give us this day our daily bread. So again, there is a the prayer that we pray unto God that we have the provisions that we need for our life. Uh, furthermore, as we uh, go to the, uh, throughout the New Testament, this is First Timothy chapter five verse eight. Now, this is kind of a negative example, but it still illustrates the point that we are to provide for those of our house. It says in First Timothy five eight, if anyone does not provide for his own and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, that's a pretty strong statement right there, but it shows the importance of providing for our house as we go on into eternity. Now, uh, I think a lot of times we think, well, you know, when I get my new body or when I go to heaven, I'm not going to need to eat or drink or any of that anymore. And and, uh, that sounds kind of reasonable. But then there's a verse like Revelation chapter 7, verses 16 to 17. So this goes on into eternity. And notice what the Lamb does. It says first, the Lamb being Jesus, they shall neither hunger any more or thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any heat. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water. So it's not that we won't need it, it's that we have it provided for us. He leads us to living fountains of water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Isn't that a great passage of scripture there? And uh, we, we don't have anything to fear as we move on into eternity. God will provide for us. And we know and we trust that he pro- provides for us even now. And that's the point here. Now, when we talk about providing for our house, normally we're talking about, uh, you know, food and clothing and shelter and all of those kinds of things. But uh, it is meant to point us to a spiritual provision that is to be ours as well. So it's not just physical provision, but now as New Testament believers, the physical need that we have for these things, food, shelter, clothing, the physical uh, need that we have is meant to point us to the spiritual need that we have. And so Jesus, when he is tempted by the devil in the wilderness, y'all remember that there were how many temptations in the wilderness? Three temptations. How many, how many temptations? Three. Okay, good. I, I had one, and then I got five. How many temptations were there in the wilderness? Three. Three. Now you are, you are all ready to play Bible trivia. All right, so there are three temptations in the wilderness, and one of them was the devil tempting Jesus to turn stones into bread. All right, so, you know, provide for yourself. Here's the food that you need. Jesus responds like this, and it points us to the spiritual need that we have. Jesus answered him and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. 
And so our physical need for food is meant to point us to our spiritual need for the spiritual food, which is the Word of God. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, this is a promise that God has given to us as believers. It says, His divine power, and I love this verse. This is one of those strong, positive verses that we can rely upon for the strength that we need. His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. So that's 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. And basically it says that we have everything that we need given to us by the power of God. That's, that's basically what it says there. So what a great promise is. So, so what does this mean for us then? Well, here it is. We have our homes, and one of the responsibilities that we have is to fill our homes with the things that we need for our life. That's what we need to do. We need to fill our homes with provision. Now, when I say that, I'm talking basically to, you know, mothers and fathers, you know, parents, those who, you know, have the charge of their household, but we don't want to forget our teenagers, too, because you have a responsibility. You're a part of the home. It is your responsibility to help and to contribute to this happening in your home. All right? So make sure that uh, you don't leave yourself out of the picture here. It is part of your responsibility to contribute to the home that God has placed you in. All right, so this is for everybody. Fill your homes with provision. Take care of your families. Now, uh, I can say that, and it's easy enough for me to say that, but there is a curse to be overcome in accomplishing it and actually bringing this about. There is a curse to overcome. And this goes back again to Genesis chapter 3. This is after Adam and Eve had sinned, and um, God comes to the man last. He... he uh, he curses the devil, and then he curses the woman, and then he curses the man. And this is what he says in Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. Cursed is the ground for your sake, and toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles. It shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And so... Providing for our families is not an easy thing to accomplish. It is, it is fraught with difficulty and challenges. Even for us as Christians, it is not easy to, to do. We still have to go to work, and we have to work all of those hours. And then after we work all of those hours, we don't have enough strength to do anything else, right? Does anybody ever feel like that? I mean, I've always struggled. I haven't, always, I haven't been... Uh, yeah, one of you shared with me during the greeting time, or maybe it was before the service, I, I don't know. I said, how are you doing? And he said, well, if I can go uh, find a, a hole to crawl into for a week and get some rest, finally. Something along those lines, right? You know, he's like, you work all week long, you don't have time for anything else, and you're tired, and, and it just kind of drains your energy. And that's the curse that has to be overcome. That is part of the challenge that we have. And so... Uh, we work long and we work hard in order to get what we need to provide for our families. That's the curse that needs to be overcome. And so we battle against that, and it is tough to provide. 
And like I said, you know, when we started this series on uh, God's big picture for the family, when we started this series, I've been saying over and over again that sin has touched each of the parts of the process here, and it is not easy. We have to overcome that. We have to persevere. And we have all kinds of brokenness reflected, uh, even in a small church like this. All kinds of things. But praise be to God. He has given us the victory. And if there is any means that we have to overcome the challenges of providing for our home, it is found in Jesus Christ. Here's a verse that we read last week for uh, the resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 57 through 58. But thanks be to God. Actually, I have the verse here for you to look at. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I know it is hard, but don't give up. And keep this verse in mind as we move through the other um, categories here, because each one is, is just full of difficulties and challenges, and there's brokenness that we have to overcome Don't give up. Be steadfast, immovable. We have the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And let me just say that there is nothing, there there is nothing that that um, surpasses our need for a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. This this truth, this promise, this uh, statement that we have the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ applies to us only if we are believers in Jesus if we have asked for the forgiveness of sins and we have invited him to come into our lives and have a personal relationship with him. Only then do we have him and his help with us as we seek to overcome these things and the challenges in our lives. So, let us trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and let us move forward, immovable and steadfast, abounding in the work of the Lord as we seek to provide for our family. Now, it goes beyond just the, you know, providing for our house and for the live in our house, because we have a responsibility, a duty to provide for the poor, the poor amongst ourselves, because that's going to be one of the challenges. You just don't have enough money, you're poor. And then, uh, you know, the poor that are out there too is a testimony to them of the love of Jesus. So this provision for the poor goes back to the Old Testament. There are many laws that, uh, that uh, God gave the people of Israel to help make provision for the poor people among them. So one of the things was as they were gleaning their fields, you know, for the harvest time, that if they dropped some of the, you know, fruit on the ground or whatever, that they were not to go back and pick it up. They were to leave it laying there so that the poor people can come after, could come after them and pick it up enough for them to eat for their family. So that was one of the provisions that God made for the people of Israel to help their poor. As a matter of fact, Ruth, that beautiful little book of Ruth in the Old Testament, that is what Ruth was doing and how she met Boaz, who ended up being her future uh, husband, and uh, they ended up having King David. Uh, uh, she's like the great-grandfather of, great-grandmother of David, King David. So anyways, Ruth was poor. She was going through the field after Boaz and his people had uh, harvested the crops. As we come to the New Testament, we too have the responsibility of helping the poor, like I said. So in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, it says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. So the doing good is the providing of the things that are needed for the household of faith or for the other people in the church. We are here 
to help each other. And if you remember, going all the way back, we have us as individuals, God has placed us in families, and our families are to come together as a church. And so we work together in order to have the things that we need. Let's turn to, to James chapter 2, and uh, here's one passage that I would like for us to turn to. James chapter 2, and in James chapter 2, we find this uh, instruction from James to the church not to show partiality to people based on their economic status, whether they're rich or poor. So we find this in James chapter 2, and I'm going to start reading in verse 1. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings in fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you will pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes, and say to him, Come, you sit, up, sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, You stand there, or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves, and become judges with evil thoughts? I was in North Carolina, and I was uh, studying going to school, and um, I went to a church to preach. I did that a lot, you know, on the weekends if there was a church, you know, within an hour and a half driving, I drove to uh, go preach at the church. So I went to one particular church, and uh, as I was preaching, this, this bum comes in the back of the church and sits down. And uh, so he was there for the whole church service, and, and, uh, and so I come to find out that he was disguised. It wasn't really a bum. He was disguised, and he had come into the church to test the people of the church to see how they would treat him. So I had never encountered that before. I thought that was kind of unusual, and I wouldn't, uh, uh, I, I, I wouldn't, I don't go for those kinds of tests, but there, there it was, you know, and then it's based on James chapter 2. But in reality, this can happen a lot. We don't want to show partiality to people by how they're dressed or, you know, their appearance or anything like that, whether how much, they, how much money they have or, or not. This is the church, and we are to show the love of Christ to all people as they come in. It is our responsibility and our duty. And so, uh, and, and if we should have a poor people, poor person come into the church, then, you know, we should attempt to reach out and to show some help in providing for them. But especially for those of us who are a part of the church. Now, it's been a, a big challenge on how to help poor people. So, just to give you an example, at one point in the history of the church, what we did was, uh, we said, well, if you come to the church service Sunday morning, and then after the church service you talk to our deacons, then we'll help you, you know, a little bit with some of your needs. So that worked great for a couple of weeks, but then word got out. <laughs> So, hey, look, you know, for 250 bucks or whatever, I'll sit through a one-hour church service and put up with whatever the pastor is saying, right? And that's what began to happen. A whole bunch of people were coming, and they were sitting through the service, and they wanted uh, their help at the end of the church service. It's really difficult, and we've uh, uh, had many discussions on how do we help the poor people. But one thing is sure, if you are a part of this church and you come and you fall in hard times, we will do what we can to help you as a part of this church. So, anyway, that's our responsibility. And my final exhortation here in this is to devour the word like you devour your food. Because, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every 
the word, every word of God. So every time we eat our food, that is meant to point us to our need for the spiritual food, to eat the word of God. All right, provision. Our next point here, protection. Protection. This is another thing that should be incorporated into our homes and our families. Protection. In Genesis chapter 2, God put Adam and Eve in the garden, and he said, it says this in Genesis 2.15, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. To tend and keep it. Now, he's supposed to, Adam is, and Eve, to tend to the garden and to keep it. The word keep means to guard it. So there was this, this measure of protection that Adam was to exhibit within the garden, his place, his home. And, um, and you know the story, he kind of failed on that and he allowed the serpent to come in and attempt them to eat from the, the fruit. So this was, a, this was a real important threat and a real important need to protect his home, the Garden of Eden. As the people moved into the promised land, God gave this promise, Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 through 7. God said, It shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, then, verse 7, the Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. So God had promised the people of Israel if they continued to follow him and they kept his covenant, he would stand with them and he would defeat the enemies as they rose up. In the book of Psalms, and I love the book of Psalms, if you're going through a hard time, I would encourage you to read through the book of Psalms. You will not have to read far before you come across a passage of scripture that speaks to the situation that you are facing. So here is uh, one passage of scripture, Psalm 144, verses 1 and 2. Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle, my loving kindness and my fortress, my high tower and my deliverer, my shield, and the one in whom I take refuge, who subdues my people under me. What a great verse. He is our rock. He is our fortress. He is our high tower. He is our deliverer, our shield. He is the one in whom we take refuge. Are you in trouble? Run to the Lord, your fortress and your refuge. In the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, it says, speaking of believers, that we are kept by the power of God through faith, for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The word kept, there is the same word uh, with the same idea. To keep is to guard. So we are guarded, we are protected, we are kept by the power of God through faith for the salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Here's a great verse of promise. If you struggle with anxiety and you have trouble worrying about things, here's a verse that you need to write down and... and uh, uh, you know how you can change the font on your, uh, you know, in your Word document there? or your do- Make it uh, 60 points and print it out and paste it together and stick it up on the wall. Be anxious for nothing. 
But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And so here's a spiritual application of this protection. Now we have the peace of God who guards our minds and our hearts. So this is really important. Are you anxious? Pray and give thanks. The more anxious you are, the more you need to spend in prayer. Are you anxious? Then pray. Do you continue to be anxious? Then pray some more. And God's peace will guard your mind and your heart. When it says he will guard your heart and your mind, he is saying that God will be there. He will be present in the thoughts that you think and in the feelings that you feel. You've heard me say many times, we are not free to think any way that we want or to feel any way that we want. We have to bring these things under the, the authority of Jesus Christ. And here it says, if you are anxious, pray and give thanksgiving, and his peace will guard your thoughts and your feelings. So put this out and pray, pray, pray like you have never prayed before. Protect your home. So what does this mean? Protect your homes. Protect your homes. It's not just from the attacks of people like a thief who's coming against you to rob you. We were talking about that a little bit in Sunday school this morning. But protect your homes from things that are unwholesome and ungodly. Don't let them in your homes. It's like the, the saying of, of many years, um, if you're struggling with alcohol, then don't let there be any alcohol in your house. Just get rid of it. Remove it. Protect your home. Remove these unwholesome things. In 2 Timothy 3, 6, we uh, were reading a passage a couple of weeks ago, and it was talking about men and women. And it says in 2 Timothy 3, 6, For of this sort are those who creep into households. Talking about these ungodly men. They creep into households and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts. Now, the point to focus in on is that these people creep into households. They're not enemies in the sense that they're causing physical harm or threatening in a physical way. They are coming in in order to steal what we have. And so the point is this. Protect your home from anything or anyone who would creep into it to rob you or to to, uh, 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 make you weaker or to take away from you or to detract from who you are in your relationship to God. Keep it out of your house. Protect your homes. Remove anything that is harmful to the well-being. Some things are very difficult, and there's a whole lot of challenge in keeping them out of our houses, but we need to continue to fight and to make sure they stay out the best that we can. So let us do that. All right, a third point this morning, friendship. Friendship. Now, if I said fellowship, we'd automatically just kind of fall into a rut and just kind of you know, go this way. So I've changed the word here a little bit, but it means the same thing friendship. Um, In the Bible, this is expressed in many ways, and I'm talking about friendship with God, friendship with one another. Friendship, fellowship. It says of Adam and Enoch, one of his descendants, and Noah of Noah and the ark. It says of them that they each walked with God. They had fellowship with God. In the law, it is expressed this way. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, Verses 20 through 21 says, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. In other words, 
Don't say something, don't say a lie about your neighbor. Um, this is one of the Ten Commandments, by the way. Another one of the Ten Commandments is this. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, his male servant, his female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. So this is the law. Don't, don't defraud your neighbor in these ways. Show yourself friendly to your neighbor. Be, be happy in their success. Rejoice with them. Don't desire what they have. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, uh, it states the second greatest commandment, and it is this, Leviticus 19, 18, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus put it this way, the second great commandment, the first one is love your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The second, like it, is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So look, this, this idea is friendship is third on my list, but we are to love others like we love ourselves. This is the second greatest commandment. That's how important it is. Show yourself friendly. Exhibit the love of God towards those who are around you. In the early church, this is after Jesus died and rose again from the dead, and uh, the church was coming together. They experienced a certain community and it says this, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says, They continued, they, the disciples, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. So we have here several things that are really important. There's the teaching of the word of God, the apostles' doctrine. There's the fellowship or the friendship. That's the you know, making of the friends and the coming together and the doing these things together. There's the breaking of bread, the eating together, the hospitality, or maybe the Lord's Supper here, both would be applicable. And we are to pray together. That is what we do as children of God in the church. It says in Acts chapter 4, verse 32, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. So there is a, there is a sharing that is to take place between us because we care for one another. Be friendly to one another. Show hospitality. Have fellowship. We studied hospitality a couple of weeks ago and the importance of that. It says in First John chapter 2, verse 10, here's a, here's a pretty interesting verse. It says, He who loves his brother, that's our fellow believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, he who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. Now, you wouldn't have expected the verse to take that turn, but there it is, right? If you love your brother, you abide in the light, and you will not stumble. That's a pretty good verse there. So we are to influence and bless others. I think that this verse is true because uh, if we just talk about spiritual gifts, for example, as believers, we have all been given a spiritual gift, right? Right? And so we are to use our spiritual gifts for the profit of all. So we come together and we help one another and we work together and we fellowship with one another and we're friends with one another. We will be there to stand with each other and to support one another when the challenges come in our lives. And uh, my family has experienced that firsthand and I praise the Lord for each and every one of you. You guys have shown tremendous love for us and support and help and uh, encouragement, and you have held us up through some of the hardest times that we've ever had to go through, and I just, uh, I'm so thankful for each 
of you. So thank you for that. That is the friendship that we can experience. So spiritual friendship, verse, 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, we see that uh, it says this, that which, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So we fellowship with him, we fellowship with one another. So what does this mean? Make friends. Now, now here's, where, here's where it gets a little tough. Your spouse should be one of your best friends. Woo! And if your spouse is not one of your best friends, that's the place to start. Making friends and influencing people. The members of your family should be among your best friends. Your sibling, the siblings, your siblings, you should be best friends. Oh my goodness, we talk about making friends and we think about, you know, so-and-so at school and so-and-so at work and so-and-so across the street. But no, it's got to start in the house. So uh, fix it there first. And then, uh, then you can work on other people. I, I, I'm, I'm convinced we neglect the people in our house. And when we think about fellowship and being friendly, we neglect the people that are right there that we're living with. So don't make, uh, don't make other friends first. You work on that. And remember, I know sin has broken everything. And I know making a friend with your spouse, for you, that might be the most difficult thing. Teenagers being friends with your parents? What? Is that a legal thing? Is that legal? Teenagers, be friends with your parents. Why not? Now, that doesn't mean you have to be buddy-buddy with them and, and do whatever you, you know, listen to whatever music you want to listen to because, you know, it'll just freak them out if they knew what you were listening to. But, but still, there's a fellowship and a friendship that you should have with your parents. Parents, you should have a fellowship and a friendship with your children. And again, I know it's broken because of sin, but Jesus has given us the victory. So work on it. Work on it. Uh, it's part of the curse. There's a curse to overcome. Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. This is part of the curse to the woman. We already saw the curse to the man, but it's interesting with the woman. It says, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Okay, well, we know about that. It hurts to have a baby. <laughs> I don't mean to diminish that, but we've got to move on here. <laughs> I'm just so glad I'm not a woman. The last part of that verse says, for the women, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now, neither part of that verse is positive. It, it, is, it is a reflection of the vying for power and the element of abuse that's going to come in there because of the curse. So there is this curse to overcome. But praise be to God, we have the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 again, it says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, of Jesus Christ his Son, cleanses us from all sin. He is the one who gives us the victory and makes it possible for us to begin to take steps in the right direction and to overcome the brokenness that has come against us because of sin. And so let us go to Jesus. And um, unfortunately, I'm going to have to cut this a little short. Instruction. Instruction. Uh, the importance of teaching the ways of the Lord in your home. 
Your home should be a place of instruction, not just of biblical instruction, but of life instruction. Because, you know, as Christians, we have, we have presuppositions that differ from the rest of the world. Now, I am not against public education, but understand that the things that the public education system are going to teach, they are going to come from their philosophies and ideologies and, you know, whatever they believe is going to kind of infiltrate the education system. So, again, I'm not, we've had our, some of our kids in the public uh, arena, but uh, just as long as you're aware of that, you can make sure that you undergird and strengthen the teachings of our faith in God among, in your children. So, don't, don't just, as parents, don't just, don't just uh, turn over the education of your kids to the school system. Make sure that you fill in what is absolutely necessary and uncompromising because otherwise they will be confused about what they're hearing there and what they're hearing at home. Now, I was, uh, we were newly here in this uh, area and uh, I moved in this area to teach at a college in Northern Virginia and I was talking, there was a, uh, some Florida Baptists had come up to give kind of like a little conference and at that time I was, uh, we had six, we had, we had six children at that time and I was instructing, we were teaching them at home, we were doing homeschooling. Um, so I'm talking with this older gentleman he was probably, at that time, he was probably in his uh, 70s, and he was one of the men that had come up from Florida, and our conversation was going really great, until I told him I had six children, and I was teaching them at home. Then things just went south from there. The first thing he said was this. He actually said this. You cannot fulfill the Great Commission with six children. What? You want to tell me that I can't live for Christ and, you know, live for him out in the world because I have six children? Where in the world did you get that from? And then, he was all against me teaching my children. Like, I have a PhD. I could teach teachers, but I didn't have a teaching degree. So what? I can't teach my kids two plus two? Or like verb and nouns and all that kind of stuff? I can't do that for some, somehow? So anyway, he was not happy with me after we left uh, together. And I actually had one of the other guys um, just kind of stand up and he had heard what he had said. and I mean, he was part of the discussion there. And just kind of defended me. So I was kind of thankful for that. But I just couldn't believe that another Christian would tell me that I, because I had six kids that I couldn't live the Great Commission and I couldn't teach them anything. It's, so anyway, that was just kind of disappointing. When in reality, the Bible tells us to teach our children. There's to be instruction in the Lord constantly. That's what we're doing here. Because remember, this is our spiritual bread, right? You, you go without this and you start starving spiritually. So we need that. Um, there's a number of verses that talk about this. Let me, let me just share one of them here with you. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 and 22. It says, now therefore, notice in this verse I have one underline under the words that refer to the household and, you know, our place and stuff. That's what kind of the springing board here. And then another two, two underlines, or it looks like, a, looks like a bold line there, to refer to uh, where our teaching comes from. So it says, now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God 
having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So when it says being built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, it's talking about being built on their life and their teaching. Okay, because, I mean, the apostles and the prophets were basically talking about the Bible. That's, that's kind of a summary of that. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So, uh, anyway, we have instruction there. I don't have time to explain it uh, further. Uh, one of the gifts of the Spirit is the gift of teaching. All right? So there's you know, this gift that we have been gifted with in order to teach one another the things of God. And then finally, we have the Holy Spirit who comes and he shows us all things. John chapter 14, verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said, that I said to you. So there are two things I want to leave with you here as far as this, is, this goes. First of all, instruct in your home the things that concern with God. Make sure you found everything that you teach in your homes is founded on the truths of God. And secondly, be humble enough to receive instruction yourself. Be willing to teach. Be ready to teach. Be willing to receive. Be, be ready to receive. That's what teaching is all about. All right, so those are the four things today I leave you with. Provision. Protection, friendship, instruction. I know our homes, physically and spiritually, are under construction, so do not give up. We have the victory in Christ Jesus. Be steadfast and immovable and abound in the work of the Lord. Amen? Let's stand as we sing our final song this morning.